today we're going to talk about the next step. After you buy it and you go and you get the gift, what's the next step in the process or shortly thereafter? What? Wrap it. You got to wrap it up. Y'all just know the sermon title and you knew that's what I was looking for probably, right? <laughs> but eventually, at some point, you're going to take it home and you're going to wrap it or do something to it more than likely. I just couldn't help as I think about this time of year, some of my fondest memories of growing up going to Holly Hill Mall in Burlington with my mom at Christmas time. You had Santa Claus there, you had the little, what do you call it, the animals, talking animals, the computerized animals and all that stuff. It was really fun. But I also remember when she would buy a present, we would often stop in Belks and we'd go to a little side room. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And in that room was all these empty boxes and all these different colors and designs wrap of paper wrapped around these empty boxes mounted on the wall behind the counter where they wrapped gifts for you. Those were some of those fond memories. Every time you went in there, depending on the time of year, you had a different display of colored wrapping paper back there. But at Christmas time, that place was hopping. I mean, every time we'd go in there, there were long lines, just waiting, people waiting to have their gifts wrapped. Now, whether you wrap your present on your own or whether you go and pay somebody to do it or for a discounted price if you buy it at the store, why do we go to all that trouble? Why do we wrap a present? Why don't we just on Christmas morning, why don't I just go up to Wendy and say, here you go. <laughs> Nothing says romance like that, does it? Why don't, why don't we do that? Why do we wrap it up? It's what? A little bit of a surprise. A bit of a surprise. If they can't see it, it kind of increases the suspense, the surprise element. How many, how many times have we been found shaking a box? Or as at our staff Christmas party, uh, one person in particular was like, hmm, shaking different bags to see what was in there. Why do we do that? It's because it's the anticipation of trying to figure out what's in there. That's a whole lot of the fun in the process. And so I always remember when I was a kid, after we got done with our last stop where we opened our last Christmas present, see if some of you can identify with this, there was a subtle emotional letdown. Because all my gifts had been opened. There was no more surprise, no more mysteries left to unwrap, and so on. Well, as I got to thinking about this, you know, the first ever Christmas present was wrapped too. But unlike our own gifts being wrapped, his wrapping was not meant to keep him hidden. Don't get me wrong, the gift of Christ remained and still remains hidden to many. But it's not so much due to the wrapping around him as much as it is to the people's hearts who are looking at him. There was a great deal of anticipation surrounding Christ's arrival 2,000 years ago. You see, for hundreds of years, people were anticipating the coming of the Messiah as a matter of fact, he would be full of a whole lot of surprises once he finally got here. But even so, many would miss his true identity and thus the real meaning of his coming all because they couldn't see past 
his packaging. To help us unwrap the truth of Jesus Christ and the meaning of his coming this morning, we're going to look back at John chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, and we're going to look at his unique, unique take on the Christmas story that is much unlike Matthew and Luke's. He begins in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. All right, as we consider the, the meaning of these first few verses, you will notice that the word word is, begins with a capital letter. That's not how we normally do it. But that's the English translator's way of letting us know that this is a proper noun, that John is not just referring to a word per se, but a person whom he is calling the word. He will soon indicate that this person was none other than Jesus Christ. But before we get there, if we read these verses for what they state point blank, they tell us a whole lot before we even find out who it was. Verse 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. From the get-go, John informs his readers that the Word was there when everyone and everything as we know it all began. That means if he was already there, that means he existed before it was all created. In other words, the word is eternal. When we hear God, John's opening words in the beginning, we can't help but to think about what book in the Bible? The book of Genesis. That's how it began as well. But you see, in effect, John is saying that the story of Christmas started not back in the first century, but well before that, well before the beginning of things. You see, not only was the Word with God, but the Word also was God. The Word is both a distinct person and God at the same time. The person of God the Son, Jesus Christ, is distinct from the person of God the Father, but they are not one and the same in their divine essence and being. If you want to ponder that question more, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the series this, from this past summer on the Apostles' Creed. It is a mystery. But as stated in the doubt. The outline, John is making a very powerful statement about creation. And the first point is, as the word, Jesus is the eternal creator, God. This is important. Even though it's familiar to many of us, this is extremely important. Because, you see, I want to pause here just for a minute, or a few minutes, I should say. How many of us have ever had a Jehovah's Witness come knocking on our door and greet us? We had one uh, come by my mom and dad's and I happened to answer the door on Friday after Thanksgiving. It's a very common experience. And I want to state up front, I can respect and admire their diligence 
an emphasis on reaching out to people. In some ways, they put a lot of churches to shame. But in the same breath, I do not want to under, understate how dangerous and heretical their doctrine is. It can lead to eternal and spiritual death. Perhaps nowhere is this more apparent than this first chapter of John right here, among others. When you look at their so-called translation of the scriptures, it's entitled the New World Translation. I happen to have a copy of it, so I could study it there a while back. But in it, John 1.1, that we just read earlier, is translated this way. Now listen carefully. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Did you hear it? <laughs> to them, Jesus is not God with a big G. When you look in their translation, he's a God with a little G. You see, they believe that Jesus was God's first creation. Now, he can't be God's first creation and be the eternal creator God at the same time, now can he? According to them, the reason John referred to Jesus as the Word was because he was God's chief spokesperson. But their translations in the, of the Greek in verse 1 and in many other passages, this is not the only one, but especially when you look in the Gospel of John, they are misinformed and they do not stand up to scrutiny. The Greek, if we literally read it, let's go back to the Greek. Because they claim to have a knowledge of the Greek, and frankly, they don't. The Greek would literally read this way, word order in English, it would come out like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God, and the God was the Word. Okay? Literally in the Greek, the Word was with the God, and God was the Word. Now, if you notice, the first reference to God had the definite article, the, in front of it, while the second did not. Now, they have this rule. It's not a good rule. It's a very bad rule. It's a wrong rule, if that makes sense, that states that a noun without a definite article in front of it, in the Greek, should be translated with an indefinite article. In other words, when the Greek word for God does not have a the in front of it, it should be translated as a God. That's what they'll tell you in a heartbeat. But not only is this mistaken rule to begin with, they don't even consistently apply this rule throughout their own translation. They nitpick as to when they want to apply it. For instance, if you want to jump ahead to verse 18 and just look with me, you'll notice their translation sounds pretty good compared to ours. John 1.18 begins this way. No man has seen God at any time is what the New World Translation reads. That's not that bad of a translation. But you see, there's a problem with it according to their own rule that I just gave you. You see, they don't apply it here. There is no the in front 
of the Greek word for God here. If they applied their rule consistently in this verse 18, it would read, no man has seen a God at any time. But they didn't translate it that way, now did they? They conveniently and inconsistently apply this rule in verse 1 in order to justify their heretical belief that Jesus was merely a God and not the God. But they choose not to apply it when translating the beginning of verse 18 where it does not suit their own false doctrine. Let me point out something else very briefly. Think back to what they said earlier in verses 1 through 2 according to their New World Translation. The Word was with God and the Word was a God. If the Word was both a God and was with God in the beginning, then Jehovah's Witnesses are advocating in polytheism that there is more than one God. But we know clearly, emphatically from Scripture, that Christianity is monotheistic. There is only one true God. In short, Jehovah's Witnesses clearly misinterpret John 1.1 and many other verses. If you ever care to come talk to me, I'll be glad to sit down and show you their translation and point out some of them. But Jesus, I mean, excuse me, John's point is clear here in verses 1 through 3. As the word Jesus was and still is the eternal creator God. And contrary to the Jehovah's Witness false doctrine, he is worthy of our worship. Looking ahead to verse 14 at the beginning of that verse, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God the Son was not wrapped in brightly colored paper, but in human flesh. As the second point says, we're talking about the incarnation. As the word Jesus became the enfleshed God. God in the flesh. It's as Charles Wesley wrote in that great hymn of our faith we sing this time of year. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, held the incarnate deity Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Powerful truth. The Greek word translated made his dwelling in verse 14 also means tabernacled, if you will, or dwelled in a tent. This word would have obviously reminded those familiar with the Old Testament of the tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle? If you'll remember before the Israelites ever went into the promised land, before Solomon ever built the permanent temple, the tabernacle was where the powerful presence of God dwelled among his people. It could be packed up as they moved from place to place and set up all over again. They did this while they wandered throughout the wilderness for 40 years. So John's point is clear when you consider this. Just as the Old Testament tabernacle housed the awesome presence of God among his people in the wilderness, Jesus Christ in his human flesh 
his human flesh housed the awesome presence of God among his people in the New Testament. Looking at the second part of verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory that is the radiant splendor and magnificence of God, his heavy, powerful presence was seen in Christ by John and his peers in an even greater and more intimate way than Moses and the Israelites beheld in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. And that's saying something. If you'll remember the first time God came to rest on the tabernacle, we're told that Moses could not even enter it because the glory of the God was so palpable at that time. He couldn't even go in it. That same awesome glory that prevented Moses from entering that tabernacle on that day was made, here's the the mysterious miracle of it all, was made personally accessible in Jesus Christ. You could go up and shake his hand if they did such a thing back then. He walked among us and he demonstrated his great power through his ministry and miracles. Full of grace and truth, as John said. Those who saw Jesus saw God in his full glory. Amazing. In John 14, at verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That brings us to another reason why John likely described Jesus as the Word who was God. John frequently, if you read his gospel, refers to the Old Testament time and time again. And the Hebrew word for glory, excuse me, for word, is debar. And that was connected A word, that was a word that was connected to God's revelation back in the Old Testament to his people. Over and over again, we read in the Old Testament these words. The word of the Lord came to Abram, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on and so on. So that leads us to our second point, revelation. Jesus' revelation as the word Jesus made God known. Dr. Paul Metzger puts it this way. I thought this was a great point. He said, Jesus climbs into our skin assuring us that God understands us. It's almost as if Jesus had read Atticus Finch's words in To Kill a Mockingbird. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. As Jesus climbs into our skin to assure us, then he understands us. He also gets into our hearts to make himself known and to invite us to know him. When people looked at Jesus, when we read the stories we have written down in the scriptures, we should cherish them. 
because we are looking at the unmistakable heart and will of God. When you turn to Hebrews chapter 1, it's almost as if the author reiterates this. He wrote, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's amazing. The Old Testament word Debar is also associated with God saving his people. It's a loaded word. In Psalm 107 verse 20, we read, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. With all the emphasis about mission and vision statements these days, is that not a succinct vision statement for why Jesus came to this world? To rescue us from the grave? So thirdly, he points to our salvation as the word Jesus delivered his followers. This deliverance is enjoyed if we choose to look beyond his human flesh wrapping and recognize him for who he truly is. Going back to John chapter 1, if you're still there, looking at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. On our own, we can't sing. As stated in the outline, to truly see and experience the glory of the one who was wrapped in flesh, we must step out of the darkness and into the light to start with. Step out of the darkness and into the light. Flipping over a page or so to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 begins with this in his discussion with Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We got to have God. I wonder if there's areas in our lives here this morning. We say Jesus is Lord, but Lord means master. As the cliche says he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all are there areas in our lives that we are preferring to keep hidden in the dark rather than letting the light of Christ shine on them 
Bitterness is a very subtle one. Unforgiveness. Gossip. Oh, it's a prayer concern. What areas in our lives might we be hiding and refusing to bring into the light? Secondly, we need to look through the eyes of faith. Look through the eyes of faith. After Jesus performed his first miracle by turning water into wine, in chapter 2, verse 11, we read this. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. The reason they beheld Jesus' glory was because they looked through eyes of faith. In chapter 3, verse 3, it said it this way. Jesus said it this way, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Not born again physically as he was discussing with Nicodemus, born again spiritually. Recognizing that you need to start over, that you need to bury the old person that remains under sin. The old person that whether we openly recognize it or admit it or not still seeks to hide in the darkness. And to start our lives over by saying, Jesus, I need you. I know why you came. It's because I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I need your help. And when you invite him in and you receive that forgiveness and you repent, that's part of it too. You're going to step out of the darkness and into the light. You're repenting of those things in your lives that don't belong there. When you repent and you come into the light, when you do that, you will see him more and more each and every day for who he really is. But as long as we stay in the dark, we will not be able to recognize fully the light. So this Christmas, I encourage each and every one of us as we look into our own hearts to step into the light more so that we can see the word for who he truly is.